delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.tv, taking a bite out of technology. Hello and welcome to episode 475 of The Two Techies for Saturday, July 27th, 2019. This is the week's most notable tech stories in round an hour or less and has been for the last nine and a half years. We take the week's technology news or what we think is the most notable or the most interesting, talk about it, discuss it, analyse, debate, all of that and then leave you for another week. On this week's episode, Google's cheaper smartphone offering proves successful, at least for them. BMW and their CarPlay subscription model. And Australia will police tech giant's algorithms. It's a really interesting one, that last one. It's, it's quite new, at least. Uh, in, in, well, worldwide, that, that theory is quite new. And we'll talk about it towards the end of the show. Welcome to episode 475 and thank you for joining us yet again. If it is not your first time, if it is your first time, welcome. And I've just explained at the start of the show what it is about and what, what, what we're doing here, if it isn't already apparently obvious. Technology news, the week's dose of it, two people, talk back and forth, podcast, one hour, job done. That's about right, isn't it, Aaron? You'd make an excellent salesperson. I, I, I think, think that, that just sold me on it, to be honest. <laughs> sold you in your own podcast, did it? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it requires that sometimes. I kid, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Uh, for the last nine and a half years, that is what we've been doing anyway. And it's only because of the fact that technology moves in the way it does. This week, it hasn't been a lot from main players, actually. But that's good. I, I like that. Some weeks it's good that the underdog gets the, the recognition. And not, I'm not talking about on our show, but just in general, that's what the sort of consumes the technology press and the technology media. And so I think that's a summer thing. I believe August will sort of be very similar as well. And coming into September, once WWDC, not WWDC, Apple's iPhone event, not WWDC, that was June, the um, Apple's iPhone event or whatever September event takes, and then the other companies that follow, that's when it sort of kick off again. Coming up into Christmas for the, the technology companies and their releases for that holiday season. But until then, it's going to be much of this. Um, just discussing news of uh, technology and nature, which is good. It's nice, refreshing. Speaking of summer, oh, the elephant next. The elephant in the room this week, or the elephant, it feels like everywhere. How was it for you this past week? It hasn't been anything for, like for you, so I can't. I'm I'm saying nothing. It's been nice, in, in for the most part. What was um, your it's been warm? But what was your top temperature? Twenty seven, I think. Ah, oh, to live in the north. <laughs> we hit this side of the county, so it looks like. Uh, um, obviously, Europe in the midst of a quite significant heat wave, second time in two months, um, and Europe are getting like forty mid forties, like upwards. Well, in England, anything above fifteen degrees, and we call that, you know, that's 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 too hot. To be honest, um, if it's not absolutely freezing, if it's not Baltic, it's boiling. Um, so, the, kind of the southeast, I think, corner of England, but I think this week, to be fair, most of England, I think we hit about thirty. I think it was thirty-eight degrees almost 39 degrees in cambridge which for a country not built around it going above 25 most days is insane um it's i don't ever well i mean considering it broke the july record of course i've never felt like heat like that before but uh to everyone who laughed at me for buying a portable air conditioning unit back in march 
I laugh at you this week. Everyone has been miserable <laughs> trying to fall asleep in the hot and humid weather, and I have been nice and cool. But in all seriousness, it has been just nuts. And I get it, other countries, yes, it's, you know, this kind of temperature is nothing for you. What you have to remember is uh, Northern Europe and, and especially the UK is our infrastructure is not built for this kind of extreme weather. Um, we've seen so much of the transport system grind to a halt because, and it's not like the all oh, leaves on the track or oh, snow, wrong kind of snow or something. Um, network rail are genuinely battling issues like uh, buckling rails and whatnot. Like <laughs> just the, the infrastructure is just not designed for and it's really started to show this week so uh yeah and unfortunately it seems like this is uh gonna be here to stay over the coming years i get the impression or if the last two years or anything to go by this is uh this is gonna be a bit of a reoccurring theme i uh uh we have i i put a temperature thermometer in the shed and it, it digitally records its maximum and minimum temperature and i went and checked it so thursday was our hottest day i went and checked it on friday and it read maximum temperature it reached in the shed was 47.9 degrees 47.9 i mean that's insane for me glad it's, glad it's kind well literally glad it's uh <laughs> glad it's kind of over though put it like that it's all right the big freeze will come soon oh I can't, honestly <laughs> days like this or weeks like this make me fully appreciate how much of a winter person i am if it could just rain and snow and be cold all the time i'll be the happiest person <laughs> on the planet to I'm all the people sure who know. to all the people who say they are how like i get it you know sunshine makes everyone happy and whatnot genuinely rain cold snow that's what makes me happy if it could just be that if i could just move somewhere i'm looking at you scotland where it's <laughs> that more of the year i'd be in my element you're just weird yeah i know <laughs> i just <laughs> at least oh, you accept I, it english heat is the worst like it's not even like when you go to spain or where it's like a dry heat and it's it's yeah. just hot but it's not like muggy yeah. whereas oh whereas when it gets hot over here it's just it's just disgusting it's just uh I don't know, so moist in the air. Ugh. I mean, you, you you kind of experienced it when you were over here. It's like this just yeah. horrible heat. Ugh, I don't like it. I don't like it. And I, uh, to anyone who lives, uh, you, you know, in Death Valley or in Australia or, or you know, in, in Malaysia or anywhere like that, where like those temperatures are year round and, and the humidity is much higher. It's like, I, I don't envy you. <laughs> I just, I just don't envy you. Guess no way at the likes of, you know, what, as you said, back in England in England you're not prepared as much for it you're not wearing the clothing um that the, the buildings aren't built for that kind of heat they're built to keep the heat in not let it out and um, you know not everywhere is air conditioned uh, it's not the same you know so I guess when it does get really hot then there is it is worse in, in countries that are kind of prepared for it but yeah I get your point it, it actually sure shows others do. it actually shows um the technology we use to, to build buildings or the methodology I think as you pointed out and many pointed out when you fly into the South Bain you notice that every building is white and it's not a coincidence that every building is painted white no. obviously white is an excellent not absorber of heat um, whereas over here as you as literally as you say houses are designed to keep heat in in our uh, lovely winters which I wish we could have more of um, so even so Friday the, you know, Thursday we were 37 38 Friday we were back down to the low 20s again but the house is still reading about 30 degrees just because you know the advancements in insulation are 
whatnot. I've been so great over the years and double glazing and all this, like any energy in the house trying to keep it in. <laughs> so such advancements in that area that all of a sudden the uh, the heat that does get absorbed has has no way of escaping. Alas, we'll live. Well, doesn't sound like you will, but you know. Should we take the executive decision to move to the quick news? Can you? Virgin Media has pledged to offer internet download speeds of at least 1 gigabit per second to 15 million homes by the end of 2021. That represents about half of all UK households and about double the fastest speed the company currently advertises. But the company described the new Prime Minister's ambition to roll out full fiber optic broadband to all homes by 2025 as very stretching. Virgin's plans still involves the use of a type of copper-based cable. In most cases, these coaxial cables would still be used to make the so-called last-mile connections between homes and street cabinets. The promised speed boost is instead delivered by an upgrade to the DOCSIS Data Over Cable Service Interface Specification Standard. The new 3.1 spec theoretically allows downloads of up to 10 gigabits per second. Apple will acquire the majority of Intel smartphone modern business for $1 billion. The two companies announced this week. Around 2,200 Intel employees will join Apple, and Apple will acquire IP and equipment from Intel as well. The transaction is expected to close towards the end of the year. Intel won't be getting off the modern business entirely. It'll still be able to develop uh, modems for PCs, Internet of Things devices, autonomous vehicles, and seemingly anything that's not a smartphone. Intel CEO Bob Swan said the acquisition will allow the company to focus on developing other 5G technologies. Credit score agency Equifax has agreed to pay up to $700 million as part of a settlement with the US regulator following a data breach back in 2017. The Federal Trade Commission had alleged the Atlanta-based firm failed to take reasonable steps to secure its network. The records of at least 147 million people were exposed in the incident. At least $300 million will go towards paying for identity theft services and other related expenses run up by the victims. This sum will expand to a maximum of $425 million if required to cover consumers' losses. The rest of the money will be divided between 50 US states and territories and a penalty paid to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau represents the FTC's largest data breach settlement to date topping a $148 million penalty Uber agreed to last year. And finally, mobile operator 3 said it will offer 5G on its new and existing tariffs at no exi- uh, extra cost. When it launches the next generation service, they say existing customers will be able to use 5G at no extra cost if they have a compatible handset, which, or sorry, while new contracts will include 5G as standard. One analyst said 3's pricing had undercut rivals, Vodafone and EE. Both have already launched 5G in major cities, but 3 will not launch its service until August. As well as faster download speeds, one of the benefits is increased network capacity. In theory, this should mean an end at network congestion in busy areas, busy areas such as pop concerts or festivals. So two stories I want to start and one at the end regarding uh, internet speeds, internet access, usage, connectivity and so on. Virgin Media is the first one. They'll ramp their speeds up to millions of users and this is using a different infrastructure than currently but it's not the full fibre system which we eventually want um, as part of the full infrastructure which is using fibre to the home. At the minute though that's really not the case. It's it's fibre for the most part and then um, as, as it stated coaxial cables, copper cables from the exchange box to a house which is where the 
dead spot lies for the most part, or where the most um, most latency is sort of integrated. I do speeds am- of ten gig. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say I, I. Sorry, I thought you finished. I uh, I do absolutely love the competition between ISPs in this country because you full well know Virgin Media are going to do this, and six months later, BT are going to come out with a similar offering, and it's forever just a race to be faster. And the advantage for the consumer is often that the prices don't really go up. Often you get grandfathered into just fast speeds, or I assume it's the case on on BT. I know for sure it's the case on uh, Virgin Media. So if you're on, I think I must be like 10, 12 years ago, I think we were on like 10 megabits per second down, probably 15 years ago, actually, like when that was really quick. And then free of charge or at no increased cost, Virgin Media were like, and now you're on 25. And then it went up to 50. And then it went up to 60. And then I think 100, then it was 150. And now we're on 350, I think, down. Obviously, the upload speed is still one. Something ridiculous. I think it's like 25 or something. Like it doesn't go up at nearly the rate it should. But, um, and every time we read one of these stories, whether it be Virgin Media or BT, whoever gets there first, I just love the fact that those two are in such a like such a fierce competition with each other that it causes the other one to uh, to come out with something similar at a similar price. It's like sitting here as a consumer of either company is a is a win win situation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't need to talk about that because you've, you've summed it perfectly. Um, the only one thing I was going to say and add to that was this whole ten gigabits per second is what this new spec theoretically allows under optimum and peak conditions if it was full fiber then and that's what we want eventually you're talking about speeds of up to a terabit per second which is really future proofing beyond comprehension at this point and that's what we want because you want that capacity but unfortunately that's really unlikely at this point even with the ambition to rule out full fiber optic broadband to all homes by 2025 and i don't even think that plan includes full fiber to the home either so it's a long way out but rome wasn't built in a day intel smartphone modem business is what Apple have sought to buy. A billion dollars is what it's worth for them. And I think this is just a continuation of Apple wanting to keep as much of their component base in-house as possible, correct? Yeah, and I think with the last couple of rounds, or I think just in general, actually, Apple, the, the modem is the one thing that they still seem to get bit on. I imagine the screen is probably the next thing they want to get want to get fully in-house. But I think it was with the iPhone 7. Um, and as we know, with the, with the number of Apple or components or components, from Apple hardware, Apple tend to source the same component from multiple suppliers. So we know screens, I don't know if it's still the case, but for a long time they were, you know, you either got a sharp screen or you got an LG screen. Now, in theory, they'd come out looking exactly the same to the end customer and you'd be none the wiser. In reality, there was subtle differences. And the same has been the case for, for other non-user facing components for several years. I, like, I was about to say, I, ble- I believe with the iPhone 7, so I think the phones we've got, it was the first one where it could either come with a Qualcomm modem, or was it Broadcom? It was either Qualcomm or Broadcom, uh, or an Intel modem. That would make sense, actually. Broadcom or a Intel modem. And in theory, you should be able to pick up an iPhone 7, and you should notice absolutely no difference between the two, assuming they have two different chips in them. Hmm. I think what many people reported is, and it kind of depended on the network you ended up on. I think some, some suffered worse than others, and there was like different issues. But there was issues, I believe. I think it was the Intel one that kind of struggled a little bit, or, or people 
people noticed issues with. And I think I remember hearing people talk about like AT&T and whatnot. So I think it's one of the reasons, many reasons, I guess the other one being uh, Apple can make more margin if they make it themselves. But um, one of the many reasons I think Apple wants to bring as much as they can. If they can, we, we've for years now, we've talked about Apple as being a hardware and software company. But in reality, when you say they're a hardware company, often it's still outsourced. It's still you know, the individual components. Apple are just a putter together of components almost. Um, whereas I think what Apple wants to become is very much a, we want to make everything. We want to control the chips, the screen, the graphics, the you know modems, literally everything. Um, partly because it's down to their own quality control at that point. Um, they can, I think, almost guarantee the best product going out the door. And the other part is obviously the fact that if they control everything, then they're not paying anyone else and there's no middleman margins and whatnot. So uh, it's both a potentially better quality product for us and a bigger moneymaker. Yeah, ultimately what they're doing here is trying to keep overall control of their products as well as increase profit margin. And that's going to work for them. Its initial expenditure is quite high, but long term, the, the revenue and profit they'll make from it will adjust accordingly. So uh, it's also a win for Intel because they, they are fine to create modems for other products as well. So I guess they're really not overly worried. Yeah, th- this is a this is a leftover from the Intel versus Qualcomm battle uh, we talked about a month or two back. I, I think Intel, I, I don't know how it went down. I, I forget how it went down, but basically waved the white flag on the smartphone modem market. So, uh, and at the time we spoke about they were going to move their focus towards 5G and whatnot. So that comes as no surprise. Um, and it also comes as no surprise that at that point they would be looking to sell off that part of their business. Um, and Apple kind of make perfect sense as a buyer. Mm, yeah, fair it, does just as a, a thought actually i think one of the things we, we spoke about when it was qualcomm versus intel was it intel was it it was intel they were backing wasn't it yeah um was how for a company that's traditionally very vocal apple felt very quiet and just thinking about it and just reading this news it's like oh maybe there was a reason behind them being fairly quiet all the time um you never know you know these deals aren't just done in a week you never know whether something like this has been on the cards long before um intel took Qualcomm for court if this was always kind of a plan all along. You wouldn't know and they would keep the two separate. They're so big that they wouldn't offend each other with the, the cases in hand. Well, no, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's, um, Apple kept so quiet during the whole thing which is very odd. Were they always planning, were they you know, always planning to buy in Intel's, you know, modem business? Were they were they already in talks at that point and Intel were going to wave the white flag in court or, or something that would allow Apple to buy them? I don't know. Just interesting. Definitely. Uh, Equifax, $700 million for the, the, the whole breach which occurred in 2017. They were accused or alleged of failing to take reasonable steps to secure their network. 147 million people affected and it could extend to $425 million if they're required to cover consumer losses. I, again, I, I think this is good. I think it highlights that data is certainly not something that can be just held willy-nilly-willy. Uh, um, and I think it also highlights that other companies, that, that federal commissioners, federal uh, organizations and so on, are not afraid to, to uphold these rules. And that's good. Yeah, much like the Facebook fine, this feels a little bit light considering what it was. We're, we're, we're talking about 147 million people. That's not a small number of people. That's almost was it almost half or a third of the US population alone. And that was a worldwide breach as well, don't forget. Because so many of over here, so many of our um, 
credit agencies use Equifactors, the uh, the credit checking platform. Many of them still do, and it does feel like such a when you see that logo on a website, you're like, oh. Um, but it's funny, a name you'd that just kind of blended into the background for many years as an average average Joe consumer has suddenly become, you know, you, you fully know or everyone fully knows who Equifax are now. Yeah, well, they're 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 just one of the main agencies, really, one of three main agencies, especially in the UK, that are used for what they're used for, and because they were so authoritative in what they did it it was paramount that that this didn't go down with no repercussions it hasn't and as you said it's still a bit light but it's better than than nothing i know that's not really what you want to hear but i guess there are unreasonable fines that could have been put forward there are also more reasonable ones they could have put pad but yeah i agree it's and uh, then finally three. it's one of the re- the oh, go ahead i was gonna say it's one of the reasons i'd make such a terrible person at this position because <laughs> i would not think of the repercussions and i would immediately try and run every Every company into the ground. So uh <laughs> yeah. Probably best not to leave it to me. <laughs> um and then three, who I have mixed opinions on at the minute, are to give five G to no or add no extra cost. Well I mean that's something, but uh you you'll be, you you'll haven't be been able, in the news for the best things. You'll you'll be able recently. to use it in, in one street in the middle of London, knowing three's yeah, I'm not gonna say excellent, poor coverage is uh what I would describe three. Uh, three can't even I appreciate you're a three customer, but three can't even put together a three G network properly, let alone a 4G, let alone a 5G network. It was one of the reasons for, for being such a long-term customer of 3, of just, of just moving away and, and moving to, I appreciate it's different all around the country as well, but moving to EE was like, oh, there is mobile phone signal in this place that I thought was just a black spot. Like, it, it turns out that more places are covered than you think they are. It's just 3 that is abnormally, not as bad as Vodafone, but abnormally bad. Um, yeah, I, I think offering it as part of their current contract pretty cool maybe highlights the price of their current contract slightly but um i'd be interested to see how that works because when they say contracts they often talk about hands they're often referring to handset contracts which are you know 70 80 quid a month so i'd be interested to see if they carry that down to the sim only deals and whatnot mm. three have been good recently at not following the trend and that's unfortunate because they were such a good carrier previously but i'm not going to go into random about that because i have spent much of the show doing so it's one of, uh, one the... of the things go ahead i, I was just going to say yeah. uh, as one of the things I used to, used to love about 3 and I think you've spoken about this is you used to you used to get a decent quality not great but a decent quality service but you also didn't pay that much for it and in reality over the years what they've done is they've increased the amount you're paying without really increasing the service you're getting in return or well, that's what it felt like I know there are many happy customers um, every company has has good and bad stories but yeah it just felt like you were paying more and more and you weren't exactly sure what was improving or what was improving at the same rate that other companies were improving at yeah they haven't they haven't held on or innovated over the past few years and they've stuck to where they're at the rest in their laurels and that's not going to go well for them because people will eventually get fed up just a matter of time and offering five isn't going to help that in my eyes but we'll see Google have hit the nail on the head and the less expensive Pixel 3a helped them sell twice as many smartphones last quarter. Their budget-conscious approach to the Pixel smartphone line appears to be paying off. Alphabet posted second quarter earnings for 2019 this week, handily beating Wall Street expectations with revenue of $38.9 billion and a profit of $9.9 billion. The profit dwarfs that of the second quarter of 2018 when Google had to dock its net income by a record $5 billion over last year's antitrust settlement. So obviously, 
Alphabet, um, Google's parent company, have um, have for a while tried to pose this whole thing that Google would would increase their profit, would increase their revenue, and they have done, um, and, and that's evident through their conscious decisions of what they've done. So essentially, initially, they've um, launched the Pixel 3a, and that was almost a middle finger to other tech firms who, and, and Samsung and Apple included, who were releasing phones at high, high prices for um okay good returns but there there were issues in that the phones didn't cost that much to make and google identified that google put it to the consumer and released the 3a at a lower price point and it has proven very successful google aren't in themselves just a hardware manufacturer google are much more than that they're an advertising company at the core with so much more beside them now they are continually innovating and they're doing so much and that's alphabet not just google the google ad machine continues to chug along unfazed by any of the company's numerous scandals uh, surrounding botched youtube moderation or moderation alleged bias in search results looming regulatory threats their business itself the ad business made 32.6 billion dollars in the past quarter that was a jump of nearly 20 percent the real spotlight this quarter is on other revenues that includes the company's hardware business like pixel phones google home smart speakers as well as cloud computing division up 40 percent from this time a year ago up to 6.2 billion dollars and it was largely down to the three iphone and this proves aaron that these lower cost smartphones they're a threat they are a threat to the current market i think 100 percent. and just reading this week as well that within the apple ecosystem the 10r was the best-selling iphone of the last quarter so so you look at it and it, for each company, it's the two of the cheaper ranges that actually turns out are the ones that people are buying. So the 3A was launched on three times as many cars as the Pixel 2 or 3. It's half the price of the Pixel 3 and launched at a time when little to no other major product launches to compete with. Certainly uh, should have sold more than the prior Pixel models. Doubling prior singles doesn't seem at all significant in light of those conditions. Additionally, Google doesn't separate its other revenue segment into different categories. So we can't say for sure whether the 40% jump is mostly because of those or how much it was helped along, but it's fair to say that they're likely contributing significantly. The only problem is I don't feel the likes of Apple and Samsung are going to follow suit to the same extent. Yes, there are cheaper phones offered, but not that cheap with that spec. That's the difference. Bear, uh, so, so bearing in mind, Samsung already have that market well covered off. You, ha- you have to remember Samsung make about 3,000 yeah, yeah, different yeah, yeah. models. N- not, not with the same spec, though. Not, not The Pixel 3a doesn't really lose a huge amount. I don't know. There uh, is Samsung. There is the, there is the cheaper version of the S10. Don't forget, there's three S10 models, mm. and one of them is like the 3A, um, which was kind of following suit a little bit from Apple releasing the 10R. And it's funny how all these businesses, and we spoke about this at the time, the cost of the phone has gone up and up and up and up, and they released a cheaper version. I use air quotes because the cheaper version is still vastly more expensive than these phones were, or the top of the range phones were a couple of years ago, even adjusting for inflation and things. Um, and, I, Apple don't hold or don't get your hopes up that they're going to jump in at this three four hundred pound market because no they won't they're just not going to do it if you want a phone at that price they're going to tell you to go buy an older iPhone which they still sell um, I don't think Apple have any interest in racing companies to the bottom because in reality people still buy iPhones um, the iPhone still has a big enough draw now what I do think will change is I think it's going to go one of two ways the iPhone is going to continue to rise in price, which I think would be a negative, because whenever the iPhone comes out, the price hike at the moment each time is the talking point, no matter how good the phone. You know, when the iPhone 10 came out, every website was, it's great, it does this, that, and the other, but the price. When the iPhone 10s came out, it was, it improves this, that, and the other, but the price increased. 
So every year at the moment, the, the iPhone release and the Pixel was exactly the same when that came out over the two and the two came out over the one. All these phones have been, they made headlines for, for being very good phones, but they're always marred by a big, but they're really expensive. And I think Apple obviously pricing, our, like the 10R, we, we keep going, it's a budget phone. It's not. It's still £700 to begin with. The 3A, the Pixel 3A is a fantastic, I, I, I think we talked about it this time, is it hits that kind of middle of the road budget phone like perfectly on the head like it does lack in some areas and one of them is speed but it is also what it's like 300 400 dollars like it's like it's a good two or three hundred pounds or dollars cheaper than than apple's lowest offering is which is a big big jump um i don't expect to see apple drop down there um i think apple are gonna be pretty happy you know saying that their budget budget phone is gonna start at what the most expensive phones used to start at um but i think google really i don't know google really hit it out of the park with that because the, the pixel really wasn't the pixel 3 really wasn't selling well i think it looked like it was because everyone was talking about how great it was and it was the best thing since sliced bread and all the YouTubers were massively raving about it and still do. And I think it is a fantastic phone. I know people that have it and absolutely love it and that camera is out of this world. Um, I did see someone this week who said the Pixel 3 actually kind of ruins photography for you because there's no like there's no nailing the perfect shot anymore because the phone just does it every time. You just point it at something, it takes a good photo. Like it's actually hard to take a bad photo with that software. Um, but the, the, the Pixel 3, like I say, it was it was not a bad phone by any stretch. It was very good, arguably better than what Samsung and Apple were offering at the time. But the sales numbers just didn't reflect it. People didn't want to go to Google and pay eight, nine hundred, a thousand plus pounds for a phone. Um, and in comes the three A. And it's done a very good job um, thus far. My only concern is that Google has sort of done them out, done themselves out of um, further ramping up not competitor products to Apple, but it is a different league to the iPhone and the well Apple products and Samsung products combined at this point. I just feel what Google have done isn't going to be what the market does, and that means it's going to be it's going to be expectations order from consumers, but it might not happen. I don't feel like, and I guess Samsung offers sort of all sort of price ranges, but I'm talking about the flagship phones at this point because the Pixel is a flagship. Phone for Google. It's it's tough. It's tough. What what do the other what do the other competitors do? I think that will be the tricky thing going forward as a consumer. I think we've grown to expect that Apple will update the iPhone 10 every year. That Samsung will update the uh, the big boy S range and the Note range. Google will update the big boy Pixel range. But we saw Apple with the SE. Um, obviously, the 10R is a first generation product uh, product at this point, and the 3A is now a first generation product. Do these companies have enough interest? Can they ha- do they have the attention span to keep these products on the same line? cycle we saw apple kind of fail miserably at that with the iphone se the iphone se got two iterations vastly spaced apart from each other and that phone was ridiculously widely loved um i I think it got to the point where whatever i was reading it's like people don't care about these big expensive phones people wanted a new se and the 10r is going to produce that this year and the 3a is going to produce that as well these companies have to keep on top of that going forward and i think if they do both produce another one so if there is a 4A, I guess, um, and a, a 11R, whatever it's going to be called, um, I think that will show that they are selling well and that is that is what people are buying. I think this is proof in the pudding that the device is proof 
something successful, there's a market for it. Not everyone's going to go to it. And, it, and likewise, not everyone's going to pay the prices that Apple and Samsung are asking for their flagship phones. It will take time to see whether or not this proves a hit for Google and whether they continue down this road or whether Google are happy enough to stay up with Apple and Samsung with the flagship phones and also offer a less expensive offering, but yet not cutting so much on specs. But I have to, I would have to believe that the Pixel has been affected in some way by the 3A. Oh, 100%. And that's just the way it is. So Google have kind of done themselves in in one respect, but they've helped in another. So it's whether it's hard to know which one would have been better for their overall bottom line. I would love to see some, some hard numbers. I know so many people who are not as interested in technology as we are, um, but they've gone out and they've needed a new, use the iPhone, I'm all familiar with it. They've needed a new iPhone. And they've looked at the 10s and they've looked at the 10R and I can't think of one that I know that has actually gone and bought a 10s yet because they will look at them and go they're basically the same phone and then buy the one that's 300 quid cheaper because that's what most sensible people do it turns out people don't really care if there's a second lens on the camera and most people are upgrading from a phone that doesn't have an OLED display so sticking with one that has LCD like you know for me and you to go buy a 10R we'd go this is a great phone we don't have an OLED display on our iPhone 7 so it would look like the same display just bigger Um, obviously probably a little bit of a different story if you're going from an OLED screen at the moment, but you're also already on a high-end phone. Um, I think it's got to the point where in 2019, people are more conscious and people are buying not just phones, but any kind of technology I think is now getting purchased a bit more on price. Just because it's got the iPhone name doesn't necessarily mean people are going to want to pay that that premium for it anymore. Mm, fair assumption. What isn't necessarily a fair assumption is that BMW expect their users or their customers to pay $80 a year for Apple CarPlay, which is free in other vehicles. Um, but they'll give you a 240-month contract or subscription for $300. That's 20 years, by the way. Uh, the German automaker currently charges a one-time $300 fee to add CarPlay capability to navigation-equipped BMW models. Going forward, though, navigation-equipped one uh, models will come with Apple CarPlay at no charge for one year. Following the first year, customers will need to pay an annual fee of $80 to maintain the relationship between their Apple devices and BMW's infotainment system. Not compatible currently with Android Auto, though they say that they will integrate Google's Assistant and Amazon Alexa services into its vehicles. BMW are unable to confirm whether the company plans to use a subscription-based model for those services in in their vehicles. So this just seems like, I, I don't know, is, is CarPlay really something you want to pay a subscription for? Where's the subscription coming from, is what I want to know. Why is there a, it's a product that lives and breathes on your phone. Why is a car manufacturer charging a subscription for you to be able to plug your phone in? CarPlay hardware, in theory, should be easier for car manufacturers to put in because it's a screen and a cable with obviously a tiny kind of almost set-top box in the middle. The phone is doing the heavy lifting. The phone is outputting to the display, so it's doing all the work. Where is this? What additional stuff is BMW having to provide in their already vastly overpriced cars that isn't already being dealt with for free on the user's phone? I don't understand that. Um, I'm also very surprised, and I think BMW have always had quite a good... I don't know, BMW have always felt a bit like the uh, the Apple of the car world. Um, well, certainly one of them. But surprised Apple haven't stepped in. Uh, it seems like such an odd thing to, to kind of let fly because it's a very bad look on, on Apple and CarPlay's behalf, I think, that people are going to look at this, they're going to see the Apple name and go, sorry, how much a month? What am I getting for that? Um, so I think it, it probably reflects, from an, an average consumer, probably ends up reflecting worse on Apple than it does on BMW, unfortunately. 
at the same time, I'm nearly sure uh, Apple charge a fee for the, the the car manufacturers to use CarPlay, right, and integrate it into their system. Yeah, no. Mm. That would be the first time I'm hearing of that, considering how many third-party... I know Apple tend to license out their MFI stuff, but I don't know if it comes under that. Um, Apple are very strict on, and sometimes rightfully so, sometimes they cross boundaries, um, about the type of stuff that can work with an iOS device, an iPad and iPhone, just because they want to make sure, you know, because they're going to be the ones that have to deal with it when when this device bricks your iPhone. So I think they regulate everything, and it means they can make money off of everyone. Yeah, two sides. Mm. Um, but there are lots of third-party uh, CarPlay head units um, coming from all shapes and sizes of companies. So uh, I'd be surprised if, uh, honestly, though, like what are what what are Apple going to be charging per car that would make BMW offer a subscription? That's the bit we're kind of skirting around here is the fact that it's not a one-off fee. A one-off fee, you go fine because car companies have been charging one-off fees for radio upgrades or for any upgrades when it comes to infotainment forever. That would make sense. You need to go fine. The cost is getting written off in there somewhere. They're just, you know, just they're going to charge you extra because it's a new shiny thing. What I don't agree with, and where I, I don't understand, is why is there an eighty dollar? Why are they the only company doing it as well? But why is there an eighty dollar a year subscription to the user to, to maintain that relationship? Where's that coming from? What's the what's BMW's explanation behind that? What are they having to provide? What is your eighty dollars getting you in return? Because from what I can understand about how car play works is it's getting you a, a boolean in a database which was toggled from false to true somewhere <laughs> it's not actually supporting like as far as i'm aware the phone is doing all the data connection so bmw aren't having to provide they're not having to provide any kind of cellular interface gps is done via the phone and i think a gps module does sometimes get included in the head unit but it's uh, gps i guess has i don't know if it has a license attached to it but i doubt that's an ongoing thing often something cars already include anyway what is where where is this $80 a year coming from? I, I, I just need someone to explain that to me. It's because they can, ultimately. Because they're BMW and they charge their users extra for indicators. <laughs> Come on, we'll keep that under the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of BMW's decision to charge a yearly fee for this, it's contrary to industry norms, as other uh, all other automakers actually include the service as standard uh, or an optional feature that spans the life of the vehicle, similar to, I don't know, a sunroof or a radio. We'll see if other manufacturers follow the lead in the future or whether the market will force the automaker to fall back into line and provide it at no extra cost. Either way, it's an interesting move from BMW. An interesting move from Australia is that they will place tech giant algorithms. That's the regulators or regulators plan, sorry, to launch the world's first office dedicated to scrutinizing algorithms used by tech giants such as Facebook and Google. The idea is to reveal how these companies match adverts to users. A new special branch of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission is to carry out the work. The announcement came just days after US authorities announced separate plans to investigate the tech giants. These companies are among the most powerful and valuable in the world. They need to be held to account and their activities need to be more transparent. He said it was time people had a clearer understanding of how the tech giants' algorithms worked. Usually the specifics um, are, are closely guarded commercial secrets. And what this is essentially is these tech giants no longer are services that we can or can't use. They're commodities that we are using. And what the commission here is saying is that it's 
because of that, because we really almost have no option anymore, we do, but te- you don't. Technically, you do not have an option um, if you want to use the internet in any way, shape or form. They want to, to hold them more accountable, and I am 100% for that. For example, researchers in the past have claimed that Google's an- uh, algorithms deliberately prioritize its own adverts and search results. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. This new branch uh, was just one recommendation in a recent report from the commission, also advocated strengthening privacy laws and establishing a code of conduct to restrict high tech giants and firms' pr- profit from user content. Realistically, and this could change a lot very quickly if, well, not very quickly, but over time, I guess, th- 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 a lot could change from this if other countries follow suit. Yeah, I-, I totally agree with, I think, the ideology behind doing it. I think more transparency for how these things work is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's fun. I saw an Instagram. I saw an Instagram earlier. I think it was. I think it was a celebrity, a music celebrity, who tweeted it or posted it, and it was like I remember the day when the word algorithm wasn't such a big part of my day. And it is funny how I think you go back ten years, five ten years, and the word algorithm, you go, you know, you instantly like algebra and things like mathematics comes to head, comes to your mind. Um, whereas you, you you talk about or you mention the word algorithm to someone today, an algorithm instantly like social media or search, like something technical technology related i you know fully aware mathematics is often behind that but it's it's funny how i kind of I think what we commonly associate with the word has has kind of changed over these years and it's not necessarily been used or being portrayed in the best light over the past uh, few years as well I, whenever we've talked about social media and search algorithms it, it tends to be in a fairly negative light recently and and not how they not necessarily how they work against you but how they work in keeping you on their platform and keeping you scrolling and keeping you seeing ads and and things like that so uh i think some more transparency i think this is something that would be good to introduce worldwide or, or in more i'd like to see more and more countries follow suit to be honest consultation process took place a 12-week uh, process and the proposals it's now underway after which the australian government can act on it the accc chairman rod sims said the regulator was currently running five separate investigations into facebook and google it called for a lot more transparency and oversight of the two companies and added that breaking them up remained a possibility both firms said they would engage with regulators they will engage with them but they're not going to be keen on them because ultimately this is going to be a headache for them they're not going to do anything in their favor if they do something it's going to be for the well you would hope the general public which naturally could damage profits right and that's all it boils down to yeah it's all any of these companies care about um you are just a number in their system you are a part of their money making machine and algorithm is there to serve them in making money off of you purely what it exists for which wasn't fine i don't mean it was fine but it was fine back then when they didn't have the power and the user base and the numbers they do today but today that becomes a lot more dangerous um, and it gives them a lot of leverage to do a lot more than they, they shouldn't really be able to do with data because data is very 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 sensitive especially in 2019 and it's it's very powerful as well and we've seen that with these data breaches and the fines that have been uh, attached to the such they're attached for a reason and they're only ever going to get bigger these levies so as a result the regulation and the regulatory bodies which follow have to sort of be enhanced as well and so i think australia are doing a great thing starting what other countries probably should start as well will they 
maybe over time. I mean, it 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 felt like uh, it it felt like there was this this switch a good few years ago where companies went from using these tricks and techniques to I think I think companies have always had the you know uh, the naive side of you I I think can't say otherwise almost but um always had these 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 tips and tricks up there or these, these tricks up their sleeves to try and keep users on their platform because they know user engagement is everything but I think there was this point when companies started getting huge valuations and you know companies are going public left right and center and it just became money 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 and number of daily active users and user retentions are two big big numbers and stats that companies like to show off and how do you keep a user how do you keep a user's attention how do you keep a user coming back daily you use all the tricks up your sleeve and suddenly i think these these little tricks for maybe making your feed slightly nicer for you suddenly became tricks to keep you staring at your screen for four hours a day Mm. um it just felt like that shift and maybe it's always been like that and maybe it's just purely over the past years we've learned more and more about how the the machine behind uh, these companies actually actually works and what it actually serves i think people just got a whole lot more cynical when it comes to social media as well but on the flip side and this applies to all companies i think you take twitter for example when twitter started you read i forget whose book it was there was someone who did a book i read it a few years ago now about the beginnings of twitter and making money was an afterthought the social media platform was the priority making money was an afterthought and mm. you know twitter didn't become profitable until well after this show existed don't forget and it wasn't until they were quite a number of users in that they actually started trying almost because they were still getting money thrown at them a similar story to facebook facebook yeah. very much started as a platform for colleges and universities and state or finding friends you know very innocent platform almost they also myspace bebo um what was it a friend friend feed was it um mm. i learned something funny the other day I didn't realize Facebook didn't invent the like button. Do you remember Friend Feed? Or was it Friend Remember of it. Friend Feed. I used to love Friend Feed. Um, that was the inventor. That was where the like button first appeared, which I, which okay. I thought was thought was a funny story. But um, they all they all kind of started as these innocent networks. I, I think that they just wanted uh, to connect the world. They just followed on from whatever their predecessor was. And now these companies are so big and have so many users and make so much money that it's just. I think whenever you 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 think about Facebook, whenever you think about Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever other social media networks still exist. It's just like there's that sour taste left in your left in your mouth, isn't it? That you just the cynical side of you just knows what they're doing and what they're actually up to and what you using their platform actually means. Hundred percent. And the thing is, as you said, they have a completely different intention as what they do now. And that's because when they built their user base, as they built it, they realized the potential is what they could use it for. And as that happened, it just flipped 180 very quickly. And that's not going to change. You you will not get away from that. The whole intention of these platforms is to make money off their users and to market to them, which further makes money from them. So the only way forward is to regulate them. Everything else is regulated, so why shouldn't they? Makes sense. Good job, Australia. Let's hope the world follows suit. That brings us to the end of 475. If you enjoyed the show, you can find other episodes over at munchtech.tv. You can also find our ultimate guide to podcasting, a book devoted to starting your very own show over at podcastassist.com or munchtech.tv forward slash book for our ultimate, or sorry, for our interview with Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple, computing pioneer and engineering genius, munchtech.tv forward slash was, and for our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Until next time, have a safe, pleasant, and enjoyable week. And we'll see you same time, same place on episode 476. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.